Let the music play, Phil. We're back, aren't we, Phil, for the latest We're back. It's been a couple of months since we, we, since we did James Bond and very, very different subject matter. Absolutely. We needed to do a couple of months. It wasn't just because we were very busy. It was tactical to give you all time to listen to all of it. I've got a few friends who said they've um, been working their way through it. <laughs> it was a yes. bit of an epic, the, uh, the Bond one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, the three hours. Yeah, this one yeah. will be substantially shorter. I can promise you that. Absolutely. It is worth listening to, though, isn't it? Along with oh, all of it's, it's a work of art. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, actually, maybe, maybe, yeah. A lot, a lot of time was spent, you know, slavishly watching James Bond films with beer and Doritos in order to put up such a high quality piece of audio entertainment. It was, it was a real trial and tribulation, but we were willing <laughs> to go with it, weren't we? So far, if you have uh, never listened to this before and you happened upon it now, just to let you know, we, we've got back episodes worth listening to, our very early ones. Obviously, you know, a little bit rusty when we started, but first one was Alfred Hitchcock, a, a director we both We love. might be referring back to that one a bit in this we, evening's we may, episode. We may do, yes. Um, we did top fives of, 90, of the of 2020. We did the top five westerns of all time, the top five Tom Hanks films, top five Pixar films, top five sports fiction films, the films of Ang Lee, uh, Golden Seagulls Awards. We did a little special, part one. We'll do another one of those in due course. Uh, Screwball Comedies, and then the aforementioned Bond, James Bond, on our last episode. So this is take 11, uh, the 11th episode of Film Fives. And if you don't know by now what it involves, it is essentially me, Russell, and him, Phil, counting down our top fives alternately um five down to one on any given subject genres actors directors films or in this case for the very first time as we've alluded to our movie scores film film scores of we've decided to go with the 1950s and we'll probably work our way along intermittently from there when we when we do film scores i don't know in terms of older scores i think it gets more and more about classical compositions in a more conventional sense. Yeah, There's not I'll really do a little spiel shortly on so, yeah, we'll go, a brief history but, of the score. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so, what, yeah. so but most importantly, what are you drinking at the moment? What, what beer exactly. have you got on? This is the crucial uh, question. And I am on something called Enter... What does that say? Enter Simcoe. It's a hazy IPA from the Siren Brewery, by looks of it. I'll just show you the tin there, for your, your own personal... Okay. Yeah. And it's rather tasty. Yeah, not too Excellent. bad from... Good old beer 52. Yeah. I'm what on about the, yourself? the tried and trusted Sierra Nevada California IPA. Oh, yes. A lovely beer. Seasoned classic, yeah. Um, and of course, this all fits our dynamic of two blokes chatting films down the pub, even though we are actually on Zoom. That's the general vibe, though. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Those are the formalities out of the way. Now for the fun. Now we talk right. formalities being the beer, of course. Yeah. Right. So, yes. Phil, film, film scores obviously different to a soundtrack, which would be a selection of songs which have been chosen by possibly the director or somebody who's been brought in to choose the songs. A film score is an original piece of music written specifically to accompany a film. It comprises a number of orchestral, instrumental or choral pieces called cues, which are timed to begin and end at specific points to enhance the dramatic narrative and the emotional impact of the scene in question. So going back a long time, before recorded sound, um, there, uh, at the cinema back there, we're talking the time of the silent films, there would be a pianist or an organist 
or occasionally the entire orchestra who were given cue sheets and would then sort of have to play along to the film. Um, that that doesn't really sound particularly exciting, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, excuse me. <clears throat> Once we got into the um, sort of recorded sound, the first film that actually kind of matched up the visual with the audio was actually King Kong back in 1933, where his mm. footsteps were sort of echoed by background chords. I mean, moving into the 40s, there wasn't really much in the way of um, any kind of technical innovation uh, in, in, in the film scores. Uh, it all came pretty much the same as it had before. But once we got to the 50s, which so very good place to start, that's where people started playing with it and trying different things um, and looking at what, you know, what else could be be accomplished with it. And there are sort of a couple of major uh, composers that I'm sure we will be discussing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'd agree with all of that. And also to add that, I mean, sound in general has always been synonymous with cinema. There was a great deal of time where there wasn't light, as you said, there wasn't um tracked sound that went with the the film as a tangible you know one unit thing it was as you said it was music orchestrations um played to silent cinema for you know decades before we got to talkies of the 1927 onwards jazz singer and so on but um in terms of that music that was weird because you'd have a lot of organs sometimes they'd be rising up out out of the ground in big cinema auditoriums and you know that it's all kind of like just music. Sometimes it was improvised. Sometimes it was prescribed by the director. Sometimes there were different things prescribed to the direct, by the director yeah. for different audiences. Um, or things went against the grain of not supposed to be what went with it. And so you had all these different dynamics going on. It's an era way before our time, of course. But yeah. I can imagine the the different scenarios going on in that era must have been quite fascinating. Um, and I've listened, uh, sorry, I've watched and, and had different sounds tracks added to silent cinema before i've seen films both at home and in the cinema which have either had music put on them for a dvd or blu-ray release or have actually been performed live um either either by the same people that ended up on disc or or some others and i think for example the lodger which i'm pretty sure we touched on when we talked about hitchcock yeah i mean uh, not lodger sorry um was it yeah lodger yeah it's the lodger um that has different soundtracks which are I think that's something like three different scores, which I've all got quite heavy kudos in terms of their association with that film. Um, at least two of which weren't anything to do with the original music that was being used to, to go with that film. So, you know, and it's amazing having seen more than one version of that film with the different music, how different the music makes the film. Now, I can imagine. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have dialogue soundtrack and other stuff on the film. So, it's really kind of changing the dynamic in a lot more of a way than it might do. For example, if, for example, if you had the Betty Hill theme tune playing instead. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or I was just going to say any, any modern film now, you know, if you had one score, but you changed it to another, but you've got all the same other sound on there, you know, the diegetic sound, the footsteps, the talk dialogue, the, you know, all the, all of the sound effects and everything would be the same music would affect it, but probably not as much as in the silent era. And as you said, things were, I think it was a really good standard of composer back in the day. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of them coming from um, war-torn Europe, um, evacuees, a lot yeah. of them, very, a, a very large number of them, Jewish backgrounds. Yeah, um, yeah a lot I of mean, Germans. absolutely 
dominates, yeah, German Jewish in particular. Um, in terms of the, the the movie studio system itself, all the heads were uh, Jewish as well, or a lot of almost all of them, and a lot of the composers were, and a lot of the directors. And yeah. that brings an interesting angle because you're bringing European sensibilities to an all American industry, yeah. at least in in America, it was anyway. Um, and so it's kind of yeah, the dynamics have changed. But I do think yeah, those those scores of the 30s and 40s don't stand out quite in the same way as things from the 50s onwards do, as we will discuss. But um, it, the other thing I wanted to just quickly mention was um, the backdrop to um, the 1950s. I mean, this was a first of all a brilliant decade for film. I think if we ever do kind of best films of the 50s, we might have to. In fact, in general, we might have to do this year by year yeah. <laughs> as a random year. Oh, definitely. So it's just too many to go for a whole decade. It was it was an amazing year for film. Uh, it was an amazing year for history in general. So much going on, post-war yeah. world. Um, you had the advent of, in terms of film, the advent of TV pushing pernickety US studios um, and studio heads and producers into making movies on grand scales to try and, you know, to, to yeah, kind of dwarf out, the TV thing. Out, yeah. out of the house, yeah. Yeah, and not necessarily grand quality. So there's a there's a real mixed bag. The 1950s, the era of McCarthyism and the communist witch yeah. hunts that eventually saw 212 Hollywood talented talented um, well talents in general blacklisted, including Dalton Trombo, who just died yeah. recently, actually. Um, well, who was Hollywood scriptwriter? Um, independent producers, smaller production companies were also starting to take hold. Meaning that the momentous events that was the full on decade, uh, sorry, the full on decline of the studio system that decade was upon Hollywood by about 1958. Also in the 1950s, you've got the internationalization of the film industry, yeah. uh, which was afoot with likes of Fellini, Bergman, the French New Wave, Satyajit Ray, the famous Indian director, Kurosawa, Andrzej Vaida, the Polish director, and as well as Kurosawa, Japanese cinema in general, with Ozu, uh, Ozu, sorry, and Mitsugushi as well, who are brilliant directors. If you've not seen any of their stuff, that might be a be future subject. I haven't, yeah. That's one for the future. I'm though. good on Kurosawa, but beyond that, yeah, I'm quite weak. <laughs> but all, all of those things were happening, and all of those are making their distinctive and indelible mark on the cinema going public. So it's an interesting era in general, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So, now, I've got to be honest, my list is very personal it's completely an utter, utter personal choice i yeah. like big and epic <laughs> <laughs> um, so and i hate jazz so um i haven't oh, gone okay. for the most yeah. groundbreaking or the most influential i've gone for completely and utterly personal taste this is the beauty of it we could do what we want with it I mean, yeah yeah just to say actually with, with music as well i mean this this is the thing with music you've you can define what you think is the top five scores for you, however you want. I mean, it could just be musical brilliance. I'm not an expert on music. I'm, I've, got, I've got an amateur ear. I can, I've got a, I can hear stuff and, and appreciate what I think is great. And generally, I think I'm on the right tracks. I couldn't tell you in terms of musical notes, compositions, melodies, harmonies, even some of the instruments on orchestrations, um, what, what exactly is what. But I can certainly hear a damn good score. And I mean, yeah. for me, it's going to be probably somewhere in the middle of quality versus personal stuff. For yeah. you, it sounds personal, personal. Yeah, that's yeah, good though. Exactly. <laughs> Big and brash, nothing wrong with that. So, um, and I, I think that pretty much gets us ready for. Should we go uh, in then? I'm going to come in for my number five, and yep. I'm going to put you on the spot and see if you can tell what this film is from a, a, a couple of facts about it. <laughs> 
All right. This is a 1958 score by Bernard Herrmann. It has a 100% right. approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And in, already, but carry on. and in 2008 <laughs> was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Cong- Congress as being culturally, historically and aesthetically significant. Furthermore, the soundtrack producer Robert Townsend, who recorded the score in 1998 with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, described it as rich and vibrant, saying it's one of the scores which most validates film music as an art form and a forum where a great composer can write a great piece of music. As pure composition, he would place it beside anything else written in the 20th century and not worry about it being able to stand on its own. So... Mm, it's not what, what I, it's not what I what thought it was going to be. So, um, see, first of all, when you said 1958, I was, I was th- initially thinking you might be going with Vertigo. Don't go looking it up on your phone. But I'm not, <laughs> no, I'm not looking it up on my phone. I've got notes ready for later. Um, I, I've got to say that, um, I don't well, remember. This is me choosing. This is me choosing. True. 1958. Now, um, I'm trying to think films in 1958. So you've got, uh, by the way, I was going to say, you haven't done something ridiculous like put Carry On Sergeant in or something, have you? No. No. This is, this <laughs> is my, wild, this is my that's, wild card. That's where the Carry On films are. I didn't expect you to get, so I thought I'd put you, put you on the spot. Okay. Give me another clue if you can. It's, it's the first in a kind of trilogy. First in a trilogy? Okay. Uh, no, it's not really ringing any bells for me. Um, Shall I put you out of your misery? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. It is, of course, the seventh voyage of Sinbad. Oh yes, of course. Ah, yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> nice. It's <that> fantastic. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I can't remember. The it doesn't exact get picked tunes, up. But... Oh, but well, I mean, due to its subject matter, you won't find it on quite so many of the. I mean, obviously, I've gone through a few facts and figures there. Due to it, it being, you know, swords and sandals epic you won't really kind of get it on quite a lot of the snooty uh snooty list but the score for this is well the film's great but the score the score is absolutely fantastic um obviously it's a ray harryhausen film um, yes he actually worked with bernard herman on no less than three occasions they also mm. did mystic um no three other occasions rather they also did um mysterious island the three worlds of gulliver and jason the argonauts yep. together um so i mean I'll, I'll do a very very brief bit on ray harryhausen because he is a bit of a legend and then, we'll, and then we'll talk about the film so when the, the the basic premise is when a princess is shrunken by an evil wizard simba must undertake a quest to an island of monsters to cure her and prevent a war yeah. so, directed by nathan h duran is also known for How Green Was My Valley, The Razor's Edge and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Quite a varied uh, CV. Uh, so Ray Harryhausen, obviously famous for his stop motion animation, which I'm sure everybody was, would have seen in a lot of his other films. Um, this is this. If you don't remember which one this is, this is the one with the Cyclops, the Cobra Woman, the Dragon. And his first sword fight with skeletons that he went so well, he basically copied and extended it for Jason the Argonauts a few years later. What more do you need than that? <laughs> but the score in this is absolutely fantastic. It comes straight in as soon as the film starts. It's big, it's epic, um, and it perfectly, perfectly evokes the subject matter. It's um, So, yeah, 
composed by, as I said earlier, Bernard Herrmann, who's better known at his time for his collaborations with Alfred Hitchcock. Um, we'll probably be going on to quite a, quite a lot. I mean, I've actually written a little bit up on Bernard Herrmann. I'll go into that sort of briefly now because he is a bit of a legend, and I'm sure he will be coming up. Yeah. Oh, one at of least my one of my favourite one of my favourite composers, Mike. Yeah. So American composer, uh, born 1911, died 1975, mainly known for his Hitchcock collaborations. He did, he's the man that did Psycho, which pretty much set the tone for thriller scores for the last 60 years. He also did The Man Who, too, uh, man who Knew Too Much. But I mean, The Birds didn't have a score, but he was a sound consultant on it. Yeah. Um, he's also known for, I mean, he did the music. Well, I think his first score actually was Citizen Kane. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not bad. His yeah, last one yeah. was what Taxi Driver, wasn't it? The last one. Yeah. He also did yeah, yeah. Cape Fear, Fahrenheit 451, Day the Earth Stood Still. Um, so his music, I'm going to go into a little bit of the, uh, the musical stuff now, is typified by frequent use of ostinati, which are short repeating patterns. Novel orchestration, and he has an uncanny ability to portray character traits not altogether obvious from other elements of the film. So you never quite, it's not like when, when Darth Vader walks in and you get a funeral march, you know, his, hmm. he puts a little bit of mystique into kind of what he does. Um, I think, I mean, he would, he, I mean, he was a quintessential artist. He would only do a soundtrack if he was given complete and utter control. He didn't want directors messing around with mm. his own vision for what he should be doing, which eventually led to him clashing with Alfred Hitchcock on, yeah. when Alfred Hitchcock was making Torn Curtain, um, he was seen at the time as being a bit old and a bit antiquated in some of his approaches. So he was trying to sort of relaunch himself and he wanted Bernard Herrmann to, to do the same. Bernard, mm. so he say no, <laughs> and that was the that was the end of that. Yeah, but um, his philosophy, I think, was quite with with his orchestration was um, normally if you write for an orchestra, you have a set number of instruments within an orchestra, mm. whereas he would mess around with he he wouldn't limit himself to that. So there's a um, he wouldn't limit himself to what what would be in the concert hall. So example of this there's a he in a in a film called Beneath the Twelve Mile Reef, which I haven't seen. Um, he uses nine harps to kind of get an underwater effect that you wouldn't get mm. if you were doing it normally. Um, another one being Citizen Kane, he uses four alto flutes to kind of at the beginning to kind of give that unsettling feeling. Um, and he also subscribed to a belief which I agree with wholeheartedly that a film score should be able to stand on its own legs when detached from the film for which it was originally written. Yes. And I think pretty much everything we'll be choosing tonight will yeah. be, will be doing that. Massive influence. Yeah. He's, he's been cited by the likes of John Williams, Elmer Bernstein, Jerry Goldsmith, Howard Shaw, James Horner, Danny Elfman, and many, many, many non film score composers. So uh, someone who I think will be coming up a, a few yeah. times this evening. Well said, yeah. I mean, Bernard Herrmann certainly one of my favourites of all time. Really interesting, the whole the collaboration with Hitchcock thing, as you said, for two autonomous kind of auteur types um, to have worked together so well for so long, as you said, it eventually came the wrong way. It came to a bad head at the end, yeah. but um, it was brilliant for years. Those, yeah, I mean, those interesting usages of music creating a different atmosphere. And I think that, that thing of standalone is actually interesting. What my wife said just before we started recording, yeah. she's given me her top five. I'll, I'll go oh, through this later. But um, she said that, um, yeah, the, for her, that is actually her definition. It should be something that 
could stand alone and it would be distinctive in its own right, um, even though it does indeed enhance the film, whichever film that may be. Yeah. Um, so there's some brilliant films with some great music, which you may not really remember, even if you, even if I played the music to you now and which we're not allowed to do probably because for copyright reasons yes. if i played a score now there's certain scores which would be considered brilliant which you wouldn't necessarily recognize or remember yeah. when you saw it with the film you might recognize it but not yeah, on its yeah, own exactly. but i think what we've probably picked is not going to be that category anyway hmm. yeah no so yeah so a great choice a, a I have, great I'm, a great a film i mean not all of the films on this list are films that i particularly enjoy very much there's, a, mm, there's ah, okay. uh, one in particular I don't really like at all, um, but we'll get. But but I but I can't mess with the, the school. Um, but this is a <laughs> film that I I mean I grew up on Harry Harrison films. Um, yeah. I absolutely the whole stop motion thing. I absolutely love it. I think it's great. Yeah. I know it looks dated and a bit rubbish and naff by today's standards, but I mean the fighting it- skeletons and things like that. It's, it's great. <laughs> There's a charm to it, really. It's yeah, almost yeah, like definitely. playing some, playing some beauty at home. It's kind of, you know, yeah, it's a bit ridiculous having kind of semicircular based bits of plastic rolling around. It doesn't quite yeah. authenticate football, I mean, but it's Ray kind of Harryhausen, he spent charm. 11 months in a garage basically doing the stop motion animation for this film. <laughs> yeah. And Harryhausen, I mean, in his own right, we're going to have to cover him at some point because yeah, I'm a massive fan as well. I've got a huge textbook full of, uh, yeah, like commemorative thing with all his stuff in there, which I think yeah. he signed. I bought it in a shop somewhere that was signed. But um, I love him. I love my his mate, stuff. My mate Corin, he, um, I think when he did his work experience or something like that, he, his parents arranged for him to go and do it with um, Ray Harryhausen <laughs> when he was a teenager. Amazing. It's quite an Amazing. anecdote, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, did, he lasted till fairly fairly recently, didn't he? I think it was Clash away. of the Titans, his last one. I, I, can't, I, I, I think, what, yeah, I think, think it probably is. Obviously yeah. not the most recent remake. I'm talking one in the early 80s with yeah. the Clockwork Owl. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Right. And Harry Hamlin, yeah. Well, I mean, if you haven't seen that film, I reckon, recommend it. I haven't seen it for so long, it's, and I have to admit, it's I probably the best. the tune. As soon as oh, I hear okay. it, I'll recognise it. As soon as you hear it, it, it comes straight in and it's banging. I mean, um, yeah. so, I mean, there were, there were two, I mean, this was 1958. The sort of follow-up was the Golden Voyage of Sinbad in 1973, yeah. and then there was Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger in 1977. Yeah. But this is just one that, it's just great, and it, it's a piece of music. As soon as you hear it, the titles come up, tells you a story about Sinbad, you know, it sets yeah. the scene, you hear the music, and you're smiling straight away. Yeah, setting the scene. That's another yeah. classic um, quality of the better soundtracks. Actually, just one final thing on Sinbad. I do remember my early days watching films um, was down in Worthing and there was the Odeon, which is no longer there, which is where yeah. the part it's of the HMV shopping centre is now. <laughs> yeah. HMV, yeah. And well, ironically, selling some of the films yeah. I used to watch. Um, but the Sinbad films um, and, and Clash of the Titans and Raiders of the Lost Ark and um, Star Wars, um, films. Those were the things John I Williams saw. Ones, yeah. yeah, those are the things I saw there. So Sinbad has, I've got a very evocative memory of one of the Sinbad films. I can't remember which one it is. I'll have to see them again to remember which, but there's a, there's a couple of scenes in, in that, which I just remember. It just, I don't know. There was something so distinctive and so poignant and visceral about having seen those films in those cinemas. Um, of its time, as was the film, uh, the cinema and the film, but uh, yeah, I love those. They're great. They have dated quite a lot but there is definitely a charm and there's a a beauty to harryhausen's work yeah, in yeah. it 
And I mean, as I said, I can't remember the score, but if I hear it, I'm sure I recognize it. Yeah. And I'll, I'll take your word for it that that is a classic. Um, because Bernard Herrmann's stuff is, I think yeah. I have heard it on the CD. I've yeah. got at some point. I could quite easily have filled this top five up with Bernard Herrmann and I made a conscious decision to that would be a bit boring. <laughs> yeah. So I've tried to mix and match it a little bit, but it's still stuff that I enjoy. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to know what the one is you don't even like the film. That's going to be interesting. I mean, this, of course, is a quite valid yeah. um, choice, really. Um, ready for my five, number five? Yes. Okay, let's go with it. So I haven't seen the film recently, recently so I won't talk much about the film. Um, it's a film which some people will probably think they've not seen. They may not even recognise the title. And some of those people that think they haven't seen it, haven't seen it. Others will have seen it. Either way round, I think a massive number of people will recognise the music. This is where we're at a disadvantage. Yeah. We can't now play it to show you what we mean. Yeah. But it's, um, it's, it's music which I think is more famous than the film, actually. Even though the film itself is a very good film, we probably touched on it on a previous episode, um, a genre episode, namely Westerns. I don't oh, know if that, I think I know what you've gone for about. here. You've gone for yeah. the big country. I have indeed, yeah. The big country at number five, which is, I don't think it didn't make our top fives in the Westerns no. as films, although it is a good Cracking film. Um, it is a very good film. Yeah, it's a cracking film. Cracking cast. Indeed, yeah. I mean, it's about a New England sea captain in the, ninth, in, sorry, in the 1880s who arrives at his fiance's sprawling Texas ranch um, where he becomes embroiled, I suppose is the best way to say, in a feud between two families over a valuable patch of land. Um, written by E.M. De, de Marais, I think it's pronounced. Um, and Oh, no, sorry, that's someone who's written a review. So I'm just reading off IMDb <laughs> here. Um, but, yeah, so um, going back to my... Um, and the score is by Jerome Moros. Jerome Moros, I think it's pronounced, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's not somebody who's particularly famous. I can't hear anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll just get, I've I'll got a list. Me. I've got a list that we'll do at the end of other scores that, you know, I couldn't yeah, fit into my absolutely. top five. And that was on the absolutely. list. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this film, it's directed by William Wyler, a classic American director who's made Westerns and all sorts. Gregory Peck, Gene Simmons, Charlton Heston, Carol Baker, Bert Ives is the cast. Jerome. He, Ross, he was also said, the director of the film that I don't like that the score might be coming up for later. Oh, well, William Wyler. OK, interesting. Don't know what that is yet. I'll have to find out later on. Um, I'm looking through. I can't see if it got any awards for music. I don't think it did, which seems okay. insane. Um, well, I'll double check on that. I mean, but, it, um, it, it is seen. I mean, obviously, when we decided we were doing fifties music, I immediately googled what are the top fifty scores, and this one is one <laughs> of the ones that Sinbad wasn't on it, but this one came up a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it it is essentially it's a western. It's a, it's a, it basically has just about the most definitive western theme. Um, it's it's the main title is the is the bulk of what makes this amazing. The rest of the score is great. It fits along. It, you know, it carries on painting the, painting the scenes and, and fitting the flavour of the, uh, of the story. But the opening to the main title is, um, yeah. I'm not going to start trying to hum it, um, but it's got a, like a swirly kind of start. And then it goes into a, a classic Western. It really paints the picture of the, the Wild West, doesn't it? Exactly where the where the chicken and egg thing happens in this i don't know whether this was actually what makes people think this type of noise is western music yeah. or whether the western music it kind of just fitted or i don't know it's it's difficult to say but what it is it's fantastic 
rousing, very catchy, very distinctive theme tune, which is, I would say, the epitome of the Western genre. I think this is, we must have mentioned it when we did the Westerns, I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah. Um, the curiosity with it is, is um, Jerome Moros, I mean, it's not somebody that I had heard of, to be honest, even though I, I can't knew the yeah. music. Until yeah. I'd started doing the, uh, the, the um, you know, the research for this. He's an American composer and um, best known for his work both on film and television. He also composed works for symphony, chamber, ensemble, soloist, musical theatre. This comes up quite a lot of the these fifties composers. A lot of them. Trained. We're not. Ju- yeah, we're not just limited to no. doing um, doing the uh, the kind of film scores. They like to also you know, do yeah. other kind of music, other kind of concert music as well, yeah. other classical yeah. composition. That's it. And I mean, he was born in Brooklyn, New York uh, in 1913. He became a talented piano player and, a, and he composed music for the theatre. And during his early years, um, he met and became lifelong friends with Bernard Herrmann, apparently. Um, in 1931, he met Aaron Copeland, who's probably more famous for, for non-film related compositions um he is a kind of you know, traditional composer uh, just early 20th century and um joined his young composers group whose members also included herman um essentially he, got, he ended up in the um composition for music cues for radio shows all sorts of stuff in the yeah. 30s 1940s is when he became really a hollywood composer and then obviously into the 50s with this film um in particular um which is quite far and away his most famous work it goes without saying um and it's uh 1958 this film as well so it's yeah. uh it's towards the end of that decade but um yeah i mean he i'm just having a look through and seeing if there's anything else of interest i mean look at wiki actually it says in 1956 he composed the score for the world war ii drama the, the shark fighters um his best known score is is for the big country oh he was nominated for an academy award for best original score seems criminal he didn't win it but then yeah. Who else was in 58 is the question. According to Moros, he composed the main title after recording... Sinbad didn't to... win it, not for 1958 either, so there you go. <laughs> it's a Disgraceful. fix. What a farce. <laughs> but according, according to Moros, he composed the main title after recalling a walk that he took in the flatlands around Albuquerque, New Mexico, during a visit in October 1936, shortly before he moved to Hollywood. Um, looking through his other work, I mean, he did do a few things like The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, um, I think it's probably one of the other ones that stands out. Um, Hail Hero it rings a bell. Oh, and there's a Western series called Wagon Train, which he did oh, for yeah, television. Yeah. And that seems to be another one of his major ones. So yeah, that's one of those that... ones that did hundreds of episodes, isn't it? Yeah. When, exactly. when, when, when Star Trek was sort of first pitched to the kind of network in the, in the early sixties, it was described as being wagon train in space. <laughs> yes, indeed. I, and, oh, I, will... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on, on the tune, I mean, just to very quickly do a rendition. So, yeah, yeah. it's one of those ones you recognise. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's all kind of stagecoaches and horses and open planes yeah. and all that stuff. It's kind of, it fits the subject matter perfectly. Absolutely. And, and listening back to it, just like in, in the research for this, I mean, all of the different elements and themes and people, you know, characters, themes and all the other subsection kind of music that um, is on there all kind of has its own motifs. And it's quite distinct. It's quite a rounded, quite it's like a broad set composition. I think it's not too limiting. You know how some yeah. just go with recurring themes and that's it. But this seems to have a lot of shape and detail to it. So I think it's a great score. 
and it's in at my number five. And I have to say at this stage, I should just throw in a, a slight spoiler of sorts in that my number five was a very difficult choice. I ended up um, going with this. What I did have that missed out, which goes in at number six, pardon me, is A Streetcar Named Desire, which is from the earlier part of the decade, 1951. I won't talk about that much because it's not in the top five. But basically, yeah. I mean, you're sure you know the film, famously yeah. Marlon Brando. I watched it again a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Alex yeah. Wolfe did the score. Alex uh, Wolfe, yeah. It, it's, it's excellent. I mean, it's it combines sort of this sort of horrible sort of jarring dissonance with sort of a bit of these elements of blues and jazz that hadn't yeah. really been in film scores before. Yeah. Some of it I'm not a big jazz fan, as I might have alluded to earlier. But it's a fan it's a fantastic piece of work and very, very influential. Yeah. I'm, not I'm, on my I'm list a... either, but it is on my list of yeah. honourable uh, mentions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I'm I, I do like jazz, only if it's decent stuff, not the twiddly stuff, but really good jazz. I think it's great. And this is the epitome. Of, it's interesting at that early stage, as you said, the 50s is when more interesting stuff started to happen. And you'd have jazz scores in, in film already, but this, yeah. particularly centered around kind of standards and big band stuff. But this was kind of a lot more just seedy behind the scenes, hot and yeah. sweaty, New, New Orleans, Louisiana, you know. Uh, it kind of it really it really fitted the story so well. I mean, the film's based on a play, I think, isn't it? Originally, Tennessee Williams, who lived down there as well. I've been to New Orleans, seen where he used to live, um, and it really, really um, evokes the New Orleans era and uh, area, sorry, and that era in particular. And I mean, it's a mm. lot of detail in that score. It's really, really good. Listen to that just today, actually. And um, I wish I could have included it, but I can't leave out my yeah. top four. And the big country, I think it's just so iconic. Yeah. I, I, in the end, that had to win it over, yeah. even though I think as a score, I probably personally prefer Streetcar Named Desire in its entirety. But that theme is just so good, isn't it, with a big country? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So that's my five. Back to you now with number four, Phil. So number four. I'm still epic. I'm still big. I'm still massive. I'm going for 1954. <laughs> you don't have to put yourself down. <laughs> 1954. I'm not going Hollywood this time. I'm going for the Seven Samurai. Oh, this was this was a near miss on mine. It, yeah. It's so good. It's a great soundtrack. Yes. So, tell me yeah. more. Or tell us more. So, obviously, the story of a poor village under attack by bandits who recruit seven unemployed samurai to help them defend themselves remade by Hollywood as the Magnificent Seven and Akira Kurosawa many say it's his finest work maybe we'll do him at some point so I won't weigh in on what my favourite is, is just yet the, he had a regular initially had a re- regular collaborator in Fumio Hayasaka who did the, the uh, score for this yeah. film unfortunately yeah. I mean he was already suffering with tuberculosis while making this film and he died the year after it was released while working on them um, Kurosawa's next film, I Live in Fear. He was only 41 when he died, poor guy. But he also did like Stray Dog and Rashomon and Ikaru. Um, yeah. But the soundtrack for this is, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a Western in all but name. It's a samurai film, but it's a Western in all but name. And the music is yeah. equally massive to kind of sort of match it. So Hayasaka is another one who combined um, kind of classical music with film scores and he had a very very deep artistic relationship with Kurosawa where Hayasaka would um, contribute ideas to Kurosawa for visual parts of the film 
And Kurosawa kind of said working with him changed his views on how music should be used, mm. not just as an accompaniment to the image, but also as a counterpoint, which was something that was kind of quite revolutionary at the time. So, I mean, Seven Samurai features sort of strong directorial music choices that are kind of closely related to Western symphonic concert music. Um, so it's got, first time we've sort of mentioned this, it's got leap motifs where you'd have a, a sort of separate piece of music for each character, which has obviously been borrowed from Western operas and then got yeah. kind of adapted by, by film composers. Um, he also took a leaf out of Bernard Herrmann's sort of book. Um, I think he must have been quite influenced by him. He chose to sort of omit quite a, the, he took out the string sections of the uh, orchestra and just left a cello and a guitar. So it has a sort of different sounding. He also had, there's quite a lot of sort of big drumming in, in it, which yeah. you don't really hear quite a lot of the other things, which is just when you hear it, hear it now, I mean, you hadn't really heard that in a film before. It's yeah. something if you've seen, we spoke on the Ang Lee episode about Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where you've got that sort of tribal mm. drum beating sort of sound in the background. This is the first sort of film I could think yeah, of. Yeah, it's like a throbbing pulse, in. isn't it? There's a yeah. rhythmic pulse just going through, through, through the film. It's yeah. absolutely amazing soundtrack. Love yeah. it. So, I mean, Hayasaka, he wrote three and a half hours of music for this film. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's about a four hour film, isn't it? I think I watched it again a couple of weeks ago. It's um, somewhere between three yeah. and four hours. It's, 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 yeah, yeah, it's a long piece of work. I mean, it's one of my favourite films. Um, it was the most expensive film ever made in Japan at the time, but it's the sort of film that's it's obviously consistently voted the best foreign language film, but it's also voted by a lot of people the, the best film. So, uh, what mm. can you say? I love it. The sound of it's great. The, the music on it's great. It matches what's going on. Fantastic. I mean, this is a film, especially of its time, that can be seen to be incredibly violent. And the music mm. kind of plays its part in dramatising all the events that are kind of coming up on screen. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I utterly love Kurosawa's films. And this amongst them is, well, it's considered his best, obviously, but it's so highly rated in general. Um, and the music, as I said, the collaborations with with him are just superb. Um, I think you mentioned Westerns as well. It's a Western and all but name. It kind of is. And of course, as we famously know, The Magnificent Seven was a remake of it, yeah. a loose remake of it. Um, and it's just so distinctive, I think. Yeah. Both the film and the soundtrack itself. As I said, there's these throbbing rhythms. I love, to I it. love the fact it's that you've got um, kind of Europe infl- and America and Japan, Japan, all influencing each other in a sort of circle backwards and forwards between each other. So yeah. people will borrow from there. They, those people will borrow from there. These people will borrow from them. It, yeah. It's yeah. got a very kind of Hollywood sounding score for something that kind of came out of Japan in the 1950s. Hmm. You know? I guess so. Yeah. But it's, it's, um, but it's got its own identity as well. Yeah, it really does. And. I think the music's really important in this film as well. Um, certainly is. Again, the, the only element I let, the reason I ended up leaving it out was just because of, well, not because I don't like it, but because of the, um, the ones that I did have to put in yeah, for yeah. their distinctive list. And again, going with the icon, iconic, I had, I had to listen to the soundtrack to remember exactly what it was. I didn't know. It that, doesn't have that big overarching theme. Hmm, yeah. It's more of a general, yeah. just a glide all the way Scene through. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But it is absolutely brilliant. And it couldn't be more, I don't know if you've got more to say on it, but it couldn't be more different than my number four, which you're not going <laughs> to like at all. <laughs> oh, you've gone for some musical or something, have you? Yeah, I have, yeah. 
<laughs> and on that basis, can you guess? There's two it could have been. Have you gone for the sound? No, have you gone for singing no, in not. the rain? I have indeed. You've, came, you've guessed with clues. You've guessed two out of two so far, Phil. Very impressed. Yeah, I mean, I, I know <laughs> you're go, When we do our next episode, I'm going to be trying to predict all five of them like I did last year. <laughs> I think I was three out of five last year, so we'll see how I do this year. <laughs> oh, on the films of the year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I know you've got a deep set love for uh, musicals, so I don't need to tell you anything about this. Film I mean, I'm in a bit of a quandary <laughs> at the moment because I'm a big, big, big Spielberg fan, and we're uh, doing uh, the films of 2021 next. If we didn't mention it already, which means I'm going to have to watch West Side Story, aren't I? <laughs> and yeah, I, you can't I say you don't a, like I it. I have you? an intense, embittered. Horrific hatred for musicals in every way. So, um, well, yeah, I might have to have a few drinks with that one. Yeah, well, um, West Side Story was uh, the original was too late for this decade. And in case anyone was wondering, yeah. couldn't remember their dates. Um, that may well have been in my top five because it is a superb soundtrack. Anyway, Singing in the Rain. I mean, I've my status with musicals, as soon as you say Singing in the Rain, I've got. Duh, duh, duh. Did, exactly did, in See? my head straight away there you go and that's one of the reasons is that iconic song and that, that whole uh, sequence when you just the sequence, see the industry yeah, yeah i mean the the, the sequence is probably i haven't the seen the film in, but you've seen i've the seen it and i've yeah. seen it number of times and you know jokes done on it and etc yeah. etc which is the ultimate compliment isn't it really? it's very it's iconic yeah. isn't it yeah i mean um with me, just to quickly talk about musicals in general, I mean, my relationship with musicals is it's not my favourite genre by a very long way. I would say I don't like them as a genre, generally. However, I would then probably go on to list about a dozen films, which I think are brilliant. West Side Story, Singing in the Rain, American in Paris, Oliver, a few the Sound of Music, a few things like that, which partly is childhood memories, partly just, I think, brilliant stuff. It can, it can go err on the side of kitsch and cheese and all those sort of things, of course. And there's very many other elements to musicals we won't bother going into here or we're doing a different podcast. Um, yeah. however, I think amongst musicals, I would say some of the greatest were in the fifties. Um, Singing in the Rain and American in Paris, which I didn't choose, are both brilliant scores in their own right. Um, lots of distinctive music in them. In the case of Singing in the Rain, you've already alluded to the most famous, which is, of course, the main title. Um, sung by its star, Gene Kelly, who is the epitome of the all-American kind of new era, looking forward, looking yeah. hopefully to the future kind of persona of those that mid-50s era. Um, as you said, there's that sequence where he's dancing along in the rain, splittering and splattering in and out puddles yeah. on and off the on and off the pavement with his umbrella, drain pipes pouring water onto his head, all that stuff. Famously, um, as it transpires, he actually had a pretty bad cold when he was um, doing that sequence, oh, which okay. didn't get any better through having to do a, a couple yeah. of takes and this, that and the other. Um, I mean, I remember this as a kid, that sequence, again, probably not the film, but just the sequence um, around a friend's house, seeing it somewhere. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a classic, but it's got many other classics in, in it. Um, All I do is dream of you. The whole night through, do, 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 do that one, make them laugh, which is another one you'll probably know, and you'll probably know the yeah, sequence, yeah. which is Donald O'Connor, who's utterly amazing. Uh, he's he's the, the mixture of vaudeville and slapstick all rolled into one. He's the most incredibly agile guy. There's a sequence where he's running around, jumping off furniture at incredible angles, finishing with an amusing scene where he jumps 
um, to go to the wall and goes through the wall because it's a, a fake wall because it's on a yeah. film set. And Singing in the Rain is about the film industry. It's about the, the coming of age in the talkies, actually, with yeah. the 1920s that we were talking about earlier. And there's a load of running jokes about how the, the main star is, has got a horrendous voice and they're trying to hide it and all sorts. And where do you put the microphones in flowers and all this stuff? Yeah. So this is an undercurrent to the story. I won't go into more detail, but Make Them Laugh itself is a, a particularly brilliant and famous um, song. You've got Good Morning, which again is, is a song you'll probably oh, yeah, you yeah. don't want to. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it's horrible Broadway when you and... think about it. You think, yeah, I know that one. Yeah, I know that one. I, I think the main reason I know quite a lot of them is I've sung alternate versions of them at football, probably. <laughs> Definitely sung <laughs> singing in the rain at football when you're winning and, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're on the terrace. Yeah. yeah. And the score is just, it just wraps in nicely. That The whole thing just rolls along. It kind of, it, it seems to be inhabiting all of the scenes in this. I know it should do, it's a musical, but yeah. in terms of, you know, usually in musicals you'll have bits with us and talking. And I don't know, the music just seems to fill in the gaps and smooth it together so well. I think it's a really accomplished score. And obviously all the songs, most of which are original from it, um, are, I think, iconic. And they are also just, perfect for the flavor and the atmosphere of the film i think brilliantly performed as well um and i think it's just a a classic example of americana Uh, the americans have got several things they brought to the world kind of the 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 modern take on jazz if you don't take into account the original african rhythms and everything but uh, yeah that jazz is pretty much their invention along the blues and the musical is is and, and the western those are the others and in terms of the musical, this is arguably their their best one. I think I would I've argue I, against I, anything else. I would argue that this is probably I mean the most iconic musical ever made. Yeah, yeah. and everything from the I, mean, I have to... no idea what I'm talking about. It's all hearsay, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. When it comes down to musicals, it's the Blues Brothers and nothing else. So. <laughs> We might have to do one on our favourite five sequences in the Blues Brothers. So at this point, I suppose we should update our beers, um, which we have done, Phil. So I've got moved on to one of my favourite breweries, the Gypsy Hill Brewery, famed yeah. for their Hepcat and Paula and various other things. Trying out a new one, though, a pale ale, 4.9%, called Prevail. Which is oh. really nice. Yeah, very nice. I don't know if it's a I new do one. Like a pale ale. Oh, lovely, isn't it? Yeah, it's good stuff. And what about yourself? Have you I'm on to... my tried and trusted oh. massive great big wine sized bottle of Lefe Blonde. <laughs> uh, lovely. Yeah. So that's I, you done. I, for I, evening, I, I <laughs> yeah, I do it, it's one of the old reliables as far as I'm concerned. There's no such thing as a bad bad Lefe beer. No, no, exactly. Only an empty one. An empty bottle. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So onwards and upwards then. So we've yes. covered our fives and fours. fours. So we're on to our threes, as logic would dictate. So um, number three, right, right at the beginning of the decade, I'm going back to 1950 now, and I've gone for Sunset Boulevard. Uh, I thought you were going to say that when you said 1950. Yeah, this was a close one. It missed out on my top five, but it is a very, very good score mm. yes tell tell the listeners more so a very very brief synopsis is um, a screenwriter um, named joe gillis develops a dangerous relationship with a faded film star called nora desmond determined to make a triumphant return 
So it's a black comedy. It's written and directed by Billy Wilder. We won't dwell on the film because we're going to do Billy Wilder at some point, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Because there's a lot of his films I haven't seen and I need an excuse to watch them. Um, yeah, so it's um, absolutely fantastic, really. So the musical score was like the final element that was added to the film by German-born Franz Waxman, who'd actually met uh, Wilder in Europe before World War II. So in 1934, uh, the Nazi party was unfortunately on the rise and uh, Waxman, uh, being a musician, uh, upset some Nazi sympathisers who beat him up, <laughs> gave him quite a good kicking by all accounts. So he ran away to Paris uh, and there he met Billy Wilder and eventually ended up in Hollywood as a composer. Um, it's it's a, it's a fantastic piece of work, really. It's, it's one of the sort of first ones of the decade where he was re- really trying to sort of try things new and ha- he has sort of very much the different um, pieces of music and what you could do in terms of character and what you can add to the narrative. So, for example, Joe Gillis, when you meet him, he's he's a happy-go-lucky screenwriter who just wants a quick buck and, and an easy life. So he's got this sort of bebop score. Um, yeah. he play, he's played by William Holden. Yeah. When you new... say first meet him, not not exactly when you first meet him. No, no, we won't spoil it for anyone. But <laughs> there's one one precursor mm. bit which uh, would say otherwise. But anyway, yeah, he's otherwise happy go lucky. Yeah. And then you've got Gloria Swanson's um, sort of faded uh, movie star Nora Desmond. So she she has her her kind of theme tune is like tango music because they say in the film that you know she once danced the tango with Rudolph Valentino, mm. but he also but as the sort of film progresses and you get a better sort of look into her state of mind and her mental health. You, he uses these sort of distorted arrangements of, sort of popular uh, film music styles from the 20s and 30s when her character was a kind of big silent movie fan, um, silent movie star, to sort of suggest her state of mind and these sort of low pulsing notes and these frequent trills that sort of make you realise that she's, uh, yeah, got, got, got a few problems, unfortunately. Off the rails a bit. <laughs> yes, yeah, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's recently film. been re- it's recently been re-recorded. Um, it was scored it, in the American Film Institute's 100 Years of Film Scores in 2005. It was number 16, so it's quite right by the way up there. Um, it's fast-paced, it's powerful, it's got everything you want from a score. It also you don't. I mean, again, it's one of these ones where I couldn't immediately identify a single piece of music off the top of my head. But it fits the tone of the film perfectly, yeah. and it just it works with, with in terms of the narrative. It fits like an absolute glove. I mean, Waxman he's also he also composed concert works. The other the other soundtracks he's known for again are Alfred Hitchcock ones. He also did Rebecca and Rear Window. Yeah, but yeah, and he's very much of that old school stable of um, immigrant composers who uh, are really like the heavyweights of the. Yeah, from the earlier era, 30s, 40s, and 50s, you've got Franz Waxman, you've got Miklos Schroescher, you've got Ernst Gold, Korngold, and all those. There's a few others as well, besides Alfred Newman, um, of a very famous Newman, not your Newman family, but a famous Newman family of musicians, Thomas being the later one. But, um, yeah, and, and he's, yeah, so he's an old school composer, but a really heavyweight. It's like Rolls Royce yeah. composing this. This guy knows what he's doing. He paints the pictures, as you said, that fits the tone of the film. And you, you can, yeah, you know, the intonations in the music 
give the give the, the basically the audio clues to what's what fits the narrative it prompts the narrative um uh, as all good soundtracks i think do when they're all-encompassing scores they they do this don't they and very much i love it i absolutely love yeah. this the film and the and it's a brilliant film yeah 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 absolutely you never and, quite it, it you think it's going in one particular way and then it goes in another way and then it goes another way you know it's very i mean it's not out, it hasn't got the outright, outright hilarity of maybe some other Billy of the films. It's very much a black, black, black comedy. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, the, the, the central performances are brilliant. You know, Swanson's just superb as well. It's, oh, she's it's kind fantastic. Of, yeah. It's bordering on, on the ridiculous her performance, but it's not over the top. Yeah. So that's, time, that's, the, that's yeah. the character Only that she's much portraying. Is, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. We just talked about singing in the rain and. Hollywood does like to be self-referential. And here again, it's talking about its own industry. Yeah. And, um, you know, moving times. It's got, um, you know, the, the old school directors and the old school stars moving on. Things are moving. She's been caught behind the times. She's yesterday's yeah. star. Her house is sort of falling to bits. And yeah. She's got lots of it's, money. The swimming pool's sort of empty. And, yeah. You know, yeah. It's almost like it. Miss Havisham in Great yeah, Expectations, yeah. isn't it? It's almost as if the movie industry is... Is the uh, lover that jilted her? It's kind of like that, yeah. isn't it? And it's just beautiful. It's she got a gothic element almost. Yes, that's right. Yes, it's the Playing pictures himself. that got smaller and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's anyway. a great cast and, and brilliant. But yes, the music in that is is superb. In a similar way to um, Streetcar Named Desire, actually, I think yeah. it's got some similarities in terms of its all-encompassing kind of uh, overarching. Yeah. Uh, Sort of, it wraps the film basically. It wraps around yeah. it and encompasses all of its orifices. Uh, Phil, you could say exactly, <laughs> but probably shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, I think an excellent choice. Didn't quite make my five. Just again, to chuck in another spoiler. Now, I'm going to be interested to know what. Your... I mean, we're with it's very much more of a kind of taste of musical. It's a musical taste is very much more of a personal thing. That yeah. I think we're more likely to have different number five. So maybe we won't. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure we may have one. We might. But, maybe, might, we might, we but might. we might not. We'll see. Depending on whether you've got my number three in your top two, which I suspect, but I'm not sure, but I suspect you okay. haven't. If, if that's the case, then I think we may have the same top two. I'm not sure. So okay. I, I better first reveal what my number three is really for that to make sense. Yes. And it is um, another movie classic. It's another iconic tune which probably transcends the film. You probably know the tune even if you haven't seen the film. It's, it's one of those, a bit like The Big Country. Um, it's a film from 1958 again, funnily enough. There's a lot of 1958 yes. going on there, isn't there? Sinbad and all sorts. Um, and that film is Touch of Evil. Oh. Uh, an absolute classic. Orson Welles returning yeah. to Hollywood after 10 years working in Europe. It's a sleazy border tale in which he takes centre stage um, as gargantuan detective um, Hank Quinlan. And he's a really disgusting, sleazy, yeah. oily character. Um, I have seen that film in years. I need to watch it again. Yeah, it's, it's a quality film. He's, he's, he's corrupt. He's sleazy. He's, he's repulsive in, in every sense. Um, and he, he plays like this, as I said, this huge hulking mass of a man. It's got its flaws, this film, but it's brilliant. It's got Charlton Heston ridiculously miscast as a Mexican. Yeah. It's got Marlena Dietrich, I think, is supposed to be a Mexican in it as well, which is rather bizarre. Um, however, and it's got Janet Lee in it as well. 
Um, great film, brilliant, famous opening scene. Again, we'll maybe talk about that another time. Um, but in that opening scene, along with other, obviously, other scenes during yeah. the film, there's iconic music playing. And this is the music of Mr. Henry Mancini. So, I mean, yeah. I think it's Man. They say Mancini. Mancini. If he was Mancini, if it was Italian, but I think he says Mancini because he's Americanized. But anyway, whatever his name is, American composer by. He's the guy who did the Pink Panther theme tune, isn't he? He is indeed, yeah. He's he's worked a lot on kind of romantic type themes. I think he did Breakfast at Tiffany's, didn't he, as well? Yeah. And he's often cited as one of the great composers in the history of film. He's won four Academy Awards, a Golden Globe and 20 Grammy Awards, plus a posthumous Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1995. Um, He was born, ironically, in Little Italy, Ohio. Yeah. (laughs) Not in Italy. Yeah. Um, Died in 1994. But he was, you know, he he was a long-term classic composer i mean other famous um tunes are the pink panther theme as you mentioned hatari um he's kind of known for well just a whole list of films we won't go into here but in this particular case it's an interesting one i mean the film is kind of like a brilliant fusion of pole part with continental sophistication has all the energetic cuddliness of a sammy fuller b picture and all the self-consciousness of a new wave of melodrama. So says James Nairmore from the Magic Word of, uh, sorry, Magic World of Orson Welles. Um, I think that kind of sums it up. It really yeah. is a real mismatch. It's got, again, it's a very percussive soundtrack, this one. Yeah. It's got a lot of kind of, um, drums, kind of, you know, kind of almost African rhythm type drums going on, which really give it this heartbeat. Um, I've mentioned this opening scene. There's a very famous scene. There's a tracking shot, the camera goes up. It's all very clever technically yeah. for its age, but also there's a... You know, did Wells, Wells direct style. it as well? Um, he did, I think, yes, yeah. And um, it's got this um, almost like Hitchcock-style suspense yeah. element to this opening sequence, which does get played into with the music, I think, really cleverly. Um, I wouldn't say most of the music is very distinctive, but there's the main theme is it's down and... and it's got these jazz strains coming out and it's um it's absolutely cracking stuff um the music is uh, is is awesome wells by the way i've just double checked and directed it yeah um it's um the music is kind of um yeah i mean it, it transcends the film um i think it just works on so many different levels um let's say it's got brassy elements it's got percussive elements um, there's different sequences with different bits of score as well, which are probably not quite so significant. Um, it taps into a little bit of rock and roll Americana to, to do a one scene. And then there's, um, there's kind of like a really wistful, melancholy, older kind of European with, with the Molina Dietrich scenes. It's got yeah. a European strain to the music. So there's lots of interesting different elements to it, which, which don't match with each other so much. And, um, it does mean that I think, you know, it shows Mancini, or sorry, Mancini, whoever, uh, it shows his his range. You know, he was a very varied composer, pretty talented. Yeah. I think he worked with the likes of Burt Bacharach and people like that as well. He kind of played all sorts of like romantic comedy kind of um, scores and things like that as well. But in this particular film, I think it's just very distinctive. It's cool. It's sassy. It's, as I said, really distinctive. It stands out alone. And within the film, it just works really, really well. Um, not much more I can say about it than that, really, yeah. Phil. Great um, choice. Like I said, it, 
if you haven't seen it, have a, have a check it out again. I'm, I'm guessing that isn't in your, your top it's two. It's not, then. no. Hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's it, really, on that one. Um, straight back to you. Or are we going to so, have a break? No, no. I've got, I've got a huge bottle of beer in front of me now, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm all ready to go in on, on and yet another big epic. So number two, probably no surprise, 1959, Ben-Hur. Ah, yes, Ben Hur, right. I haven't we got mentioned, your top we two mentioned nails, William Wyler earlier. Um, yeah. So it's the story of a Jewish princess being betrayed and sent into slavery by a, a Roman friend in first, of Ben Hur's in first century Jerusalem. Then he goes and gains his freedom and comes back for revenge. I really don't. I watched this film again quite recently over Christmas. It's terrible. I mean, <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, well, no, I mean, I mean, Aside from the chariot race, which for its time is fantastic, and the sea battle is fantastic, but the the rest of it, God, it didn't half go on. And <laughs> it's way I, too long, isn't it? Oh, it it it, it, it is. Um, yeah, I don't really like this film very much, um, and I don't really like Charlton Heston in it very much. <laughs> but but <laughs> I mean, it it the soundtrack is massive um, in pretty much all senses of the word. I mean, I could, I mean, I do like a stat and I could talk for quite a long time on a lot of the records that this film actually set. It had the biggest budget of any film at its time. Um, the biggest sets, so they had 200 people just making the freezes. They had 100 people, over 100 people just in wardrobe. But we need to concentrate on the music. Yeah. So the score was composed and conducted by... And you mentioned his name earlier, and you probably pronounced it a lot better than I will. Miklos Rosha. Rosha? Yeah. Miklos Rosha, I believe it is. Miklos Rosha. So he basically was the go-to guy for MGM's 1950s historical epic. So he did Quo Vardis, Ivanhoe. He did Spellbound for Hitchcock. um, Mm -hmm. And he also did, uh, in the 70s, he did The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. (laughs) <laughs> just to bring things full circle, it comes back to Sinbad again. <laughs> so, but I mean, he, he put a lot of work into this. Um, he researched Greek and Roman music, incorporated the score to try and make things more authentic. He directed the 100 piece MGM Symphony Orchestra himself. He composed more than three hours of music. Wow. Um, two and a half of hours of which were finally used, which is the longest score ever until just last year when it was uh, beaten by the four-hour score of Zack Snyder's Justice League, which I haven't seen and I never will. (laughs) (laughs) He probably did that just to get the record, didn't he, as well? I don't. I imagine. Get get me a score that's that long. Yeah, I mean, it really is an epic in every sense, isn't it, Ben-Hur? For everything from the the, the title, uh, from the poster with the letters, the titling of the letters. Everything about it is massive. So, I mean... It has no leap. Charlton motifs. Heston again, of course, as well. Yeah, yeah. It has no leap motifs for the main characters, which was kind of the thing that they did in historical epics. Yeah. Although we do get, I'm trying to be respectful here, we uh, do get a pipe organ whenever Jesus arrives. <laughs> he comes and goes two or three times in the film. Um, well, J- Jesus is a special case. He's got to get his own motif, hasn't he? Yeah. So it obviously won the Academy <laughs> Award for. Uh, for, for music, oh, it was issued on sale at the time as three LPs, but for the first and only time ever, there was a greatest hits single LP version. No other scores ever had that, and it 
it, I think it sold by the bucket load. Uh, it was by far the best of uh, Roger's career. It very, very influential. Um, John Williams takes, he, um, I don't want to say he rips him off because John Williams is a fantastic composer in his own right. But oh, you does, listen yeah. to this and then you listen to the likes of Jaws and Star Wars and Indiana Jones yeah. and, and you can see what, where he's borrowing a lot from, you know. Yeah. I mean, just at that point, if I can just interject, I've, I remember listening, getting into, just listening to film composition stuff. I think I got some stuff out of the library as a sort of teenager on CD or something. And just because I've not really heard these, these composers. And I remember listening to one on Miklos Rocha and it wasn't actually this soundtrack. It was to another film that I'd not heard of and I can't remember what it is now. Yeah. And actually listening to that, I thought, whoa, John Williams has yeah. ripped off Star Wars. It, I, I wish I could remember which, um, yeah. which film it was. It wasn't a famous film, but um, the music you can, you can really recognize. And, you know, everyone borrows from everyone before and nothing's wholly original and all that. But that was, I thought, that was bordering yeah. on the little bit dodgy. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard a song by a Spanish band called Meccano. Um, there's a song they do, which is basically um, later done by pulp as common people. It's it's the yeah. same tune. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think many people know that either. But um, anyway, but yeah, yeah, I mean. I mean, the, very, the title theme, the, the main, um, the, the sort of six minute long overture it's just, it's flawless, really, in terms of, yeah. I mean, cinema music history, it's it's up there in some of the greatest moments ever. Again, yeah. Roger was another one. He led what he called a double life. He composed over 100 film scores, but he carried on doing concert music at the same time. Um, and briefly, uh, yeah, William Weiler, the director, another German, uh, we've also directed him. He won Oscars for Mrs. Miniver and the best years of our lives. But, uh, yeah. I mean, everything about this score is massive. It's a fantastic piece of work. It's iconic. It's brain breaking. I wish it had a better film to watch it too. Yeah. So this obviously is the one you were talking about earlier, yeah, both yeah, in terms yeah. of the film you don't like and the fact it's a William Wyler film, which I've forgotten you'd mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I go along with that actually. I, I didn't put it in my five just because. A, I, I couldn't remember the tunes without listening to them when I heard them. I if, you, remember, but you, but, if you heard it again now, especially you, the main overture, yeah, yeah. You, you'd just be, you know, conduct. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but, yeah, conducting I mean, uh, in, in, in your lounge. Fan- <laughs> <laughs> it is a fantastic composition. And it well, is the orchestral version is of air guitar is, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is truly epic. There's no doubt about that. And it is, I'm no doubt, an excellent piece of work, probably better than I could appreciate, as I said, with my amateur yeah. ear. Um, you can tell it's good. You can tell it's it's got a, a lot of um, detail to it. But it, um, I just couldn't really place it in my top five based on I, I had some more much-loved musical yeah. pieces I just couldn't leave out. So on that That's basis, it didn't make it. But it is again. It's one of those ones when you Google your, you know, what's the best fifty films and whatever, just to just to get the ball rolling on this this research that pops up on, uh, yeah, along with the big country, it pops up right up right up near yeah, the top, yeah. doesn't it? On these, and he is a magnificent composer. It is a magnificent piece of work. I, I agree with you. I don't like the film that much. It's far too long, and it's got many flaws. It, the, um, the pacing I, of it is absolutely bizarre because, yeah, normally films sort of builds up and. You know, it builds up momentum as the narrative drives yeah. it forward, and this builds up and builds up and builds up, and then just sort of flatlines for about an hour after <laughs> after all the action. It's just yes. like, what are you doing? You know, 
Yes, methinks better production and editing needed there on that one. Yeah, yeah. and script writing probably as well. Um, yeah, it, it it is a it's a classic, of course. The, the film. I haven't itself, seen but... the um, I haven't seen the Tim Urbeck Mambatov remake. Um, I, I might do for a laugh because I like because <laughs> he's genuinely quite quite an interesting director. Yeah. If you don't know who he is, if you've ever seen um, the Angelina Jolie film Wanted, or um, or he he started oh, yeah. the yeah. Russian films that he the vampire films that he did. Day Watch and Night Watch. He's done a version of this a few years ago that I haven't seen. Um, it might actually I, be. Worth I may a look. one day. Get, I think it's only about an hour and a half long. So, Bloody hell! He's so obviously making. A he's obviously there, ditched a lot of a lot of the nonsense. So maybe, but maybe I'll watch all that the script. Day. Yeah. I don't think it's supposed yeah. to be very good. No. Okay. Fair enough. That's a shame. But um, I mean, it had the potential to be better than. Yeah. But yeah. That, that's a remake where you can justify a remake because it can be yeah. improved on. Well, I mean, there was original 1925 version, I think, wasn't it? There was. A, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think right. it's. it's I think Ben Hur is one of the most remade films. Mm. Yeah. And on, on honorable on, mention, oh. we can't we can't mention Ben Hur without honorable mention for the chariot scene, of course, yeah. chariot racing scene, yeah, which is uh, mad. That's massive, quite entertaining. It's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Insanely yeah. dangerous. <laughs> You watch it. Yeah. I mean, it was the, uh, Fury Road Mad Max film of its, of its yes, time. Yeah. Definitely. It really was. And it, and it was actually superb. That sequence itself is superb. Yeah. Brilliantly directed, oh, the really was great as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just that you add those two sort of sequences together and they come to about 15 minutes and it's about a four hour film. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Phil, I think it's time we got on to my number two. Um, yes. just as I pull- Pour another beer, actually. I'm having a. Um, it's got to be about time you you picked a Bernard Herrmann film, isn't it? it? It might be. It might be. Oh, you didn't guess my three, did you? But you may have guessed my number two. Why, why don't you have a think about which Bernard Herrmann film might be um, a number two? I'm going to say it's BBNO 07 Wit beer. I'm having orange and vanilla, apparently, with it. A cool slick. Well, that last one went down quick. I'm never going to that quick. That brewer, yeah. Yes, I know. I don't. I don't know what happened there, Phil. It was nothing to do with me. <laughs> It's me talking oh, too much, on. giving you ample yes. opportunity for drink. <laughs> to supper of the hop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, my number two is indeed a Bernard Herman score. Um, do you want to guess? Because obviously there's more than one. It could be, who knows which. Go on, have a well, guess. Well, um, it's one of two. Yes. yes it's either right. Vertigo or North by Northwest. And yeah. I'm... Um, I'm think, and I don't know if you'd actually pick both those as your top two or not. I'm not telling you. <laughs> I reckon you've gone for North by Northwest, the number two. Oh, he's nailed it again. <laughs> That's exactly what I've got at number two. Yes, I North know you Northwest. too well, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've. I was talking about this with the other half, and um, she she'd forgotten about that when we were talking about classics. And then I just threw that in, and she went, "Oh no, yeah, there's that as well." Um, this for me, yeah, and we, we you mentioned. I didn't pick this one only because I didn't want to. Ha- oh, this is a bit of a spoiler. <laughs> I didn't want to have three Bernard Hermans in my top five. I would have picked it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And okay, so there's a bit of kind of compromise, almost like politic thinking here going on for you. Yeah. So fair enough. Because I'm surprised you didn't just yield and go for a top two Bernard Herman double. But um, yeah. anyway. I'm yeah, pretty I mean, sure we film, got the same number one then. We might have. <laughs> <laughs> the plot spoilers abound. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. My number two, North by Northwest. We've talked about this on the Hitchcock we, episode. Yes. 
first to say, if you haven't heard that, pause this, get all actually it, it made or finish this one, one. But they, Yeah, It was your number one. And again, it's one of those, those directors, you could have put things in a certain order. I, I think at the time I said Psycho, um, which of course it wouldn't have qualified for this music wise in yeah, 1960. Um, Vertigo and North by Northwest. It would have been in, all... in the run the running if, yeah, it, had, if yeah. it had qualified, yeah. As films, they're equidistant in terms of, you know, quality or equal, equal standard, really. In terms of scores, this was, um, right up there, obviously, got it yeah. number two. I mean, we've talked about the score when we were talking about the film. It is a synonymous element to this. It's brilliant. It sets the tone. I mean, there's three things happen. You've got obviously the visuals uh, from the director. You've got the title sequence, the Saul Bass stuff yeah. uh, with the building and all the lines, the vertical and horizontal. Oh, it's it's amazing. Since talking about it, it's made me want to you watch, want to watch it, it now. Don't I'm going to have to make my kids watch it soon. Definitely. 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 They've not seen it. I haven't, I haven't managed to get them to sit through a, um, Alfred Hitchcock oh. film, yeah. It's oh, definitely well, be coming, uh, coming about time, yeah. It's got to be the right time when it, when it happens, isn't it? Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so you've got, you've got the visual, the general visuals, you've got those title sequences, and you've got the music kicking in straight from the off, the main theme. And, and it's just wonderful. It's just it's brilliant. Great. It does, on several levels. First of all, it's uplifting. Boom. It takes you straight in. Secondly, it tells you it's a thriller. And it's going to be a up-tempo yeah. kind of espionage or or something kind of suspension-type based thriller rather yeah. than a slow blow, slow burner. And it's just um, it it kind of seems to encapsulate everything about sort of the the era, the the area that it's set in, the sort of characters that are going to permeate the story, namely the Cary Grant character, of course. All of that just it's just summed up perfectly in the music and we talked about the different things between the the main title and then what you can get from the wider score this one the score in general is great you've got a number of sequences yeah. famous sequences you know you've got the, uh, it's the Mount Rush a proper blockbuster score isn't it yeah yeah that john williams and, later became synonymous for in fact if you yeah. listen to the kind of bits bits of the score for this and bits of the score for indiana jones there is Definitely yeah. a bit going on. Yeah. Clearly an influence. Oh, and fair enough. And it's in the same spirit in some ways, actually, mm. to Indiana Jones, isn't it? The later, much later yeah. film. It's, because a, it's, a, it's a film you watch your smile on your face. Yeah. yeah, you, it's, yeah pure it's pure boy's fun. own adventure. Yeah. Yeah. We said it at the time when we talked about Hitchcock before. Yeah, it's it's got everything you want from a film. It, it's utterly brilliant quality in terms of all of the, the technical elements, uh, the script, the acting, all of those shots, details together. Yeah, yeah. And we and we can mention, of course, now the music as well. But it's also, as you said, it's entertaining. It's a complete and utter rip-roaring yarn. It's an entertainment. You can enjoy it. It's it's suitable for anyone. It's accessible. Yeah. You can talk about another film, which is utterly brilliant, and it can be completely unaccessible to the majority of a potential audience. But this one, yeah. anyone could watch it and enjoy it. It's playful. Yeah. It's fun. It's got intrigue. It's got twists and turns. You've got great protagonists. It's got Grant got, in a suit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can't have an ep- we can't have a single episode without talking about Cary Grant. He's becoming a mascot. <laughs> mascot, or we've got man crushes on him, one or yeah, the other, yeah. or both, probably. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I just absolutely adore this film, and I adore the soundtrack. I remember yeah. in terms of, I mean, I've always been a lover of films through the ages, but in terms of becoming more sort of like acutely tuned into the musical side of. um of film this i think bernard herman's one of my 
probably is my favourite film composer. I would say maybe, maybe not. I'll, I'll leave. I think John Williams we'll, probably my favourite. But yeah. how much of that is based on nostalgia yeah. from my childhood, where he basically yeah. scored for all my favourite yeah. films growing up, and how much that 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 and how much is he influenced by? How much is, yeah, um, and how great, yeah, how yeah. much is that kind of? I, I, making it forming my opinion I don't know but I know exactly what you mean yeah exactly and um, I mean he's certainly right up there as amongst my favourites and I think he was one of the he's one of the composers that I first kind of got noticed because I think I remember those elements even as a kid watching them on TV those films Um, he just and obviously it goes back to what you were talking earlier about Sinbad and going to the cinema and I remember the music I probably wouldn't have said that was my most a sort of memorable feature of it at the time, but I do remember the music and hearing it back later, thinking, oh, yeah. Yeah, I really like the music. It became yeah. a character in the film, which I, I think know, is, is, the, is the tribute I can give to this composer and this film score and this film in general. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Right. Now, you suggested that we might have the same number one. I, I'm suggesting that you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so we've both to... gone for Vertigo then. We have indeed. Which... Full disclosure, on being perfectly honest, yep. North by Northwest would probably be my number two. I, and as I said, I, I, can't, I, I thought I can't just talk about Burning Hell yeah. all night. I mean, I'll be and, honest and with I you. Was kind of, and, 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 and it was a toin toss. A toin <laughs> toss? A coin toss <laughs> a between, <laughs> between whether I went for Vertigo or North by Northwest. And I yep. went for Vertigo because... I think it's it's slightly more interesting score. It's got yeah. it's it's a more complicated film and it's a more complicated score. Uh, yeah. I think that that, that that was kind of what formed my opinion yeah. there. I mean, can I just say I was astounded that you didn't have North by Northwest at number two. I was convinced I you had the same. I know, two. but I but I did I didn't take into account the fact that I realise you you sometimes do this, don't you? You kind of you, you try and kind of measure things out. Yeah, otherwise you're talking about the same things all the time. And I really yeah. wanted to talk about Sinbad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it allows Not you to Not enough people talk about... It's about time Hollywood did a new Sinbad film, don't you think? That's it, true, it would yeah. be great. I mean, they've got, there's enough other remakes and things going on. You want another ripping yard. Stop making films about comic books or computer games. Go and do Sinbad. so now this film i'm sure you've got some notes there you'll you'll go to in a minute but just before you do i mean i've got to say that um it's a close call between these two between north by northwest and vertigo um i think that this is probably i think my favorite film soundtrack of all time i think it is the greatest film soundtrack of all time um i'd have to think about that in more detail to to be sure of myself but it's all intense. I, I have I have a real problem with nostalgia in that Star Wars and Indiana Jones are just so big in my head when it comes to sort of sound. And Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is also another one that when we were doing the Western episode, I just that I mean that's that score is just massive. But it's definitely in my yeah. top five. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And I mean for me. Um, Hopefully you didn't get too interrupted by the cat there that was trying to go <laughs> manage to engineer a, an exit for her. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, for me, it, what it is with this film, I think it's, as soon as you watch this film, again, with North by Northwest, it's the same. You sit down, especially if you watch it in the cinema, but even at home, you know, lights down or whatever, the music kicks in and the, the opening sequences, the title sequence kicks in 
and you were immediately plunged into this world, this dark world, this twisted mind world of the main character. And the music sort of it descends down. You can feel, you physically feel yourself plunging into this world, not lifted to a world yeah, or yeah. transcended somewhere else. You're plunged down. And the music, it, the orchestration is just superb. The, I don't know what you call it. it the adds, brass I mean, of... it's a film that works on many, many, many levels. Hmm. But the music just adds another element to it. It taps into the psychosis you of the character. imagine this, this film with any other score. No. And you know, in another world, we would have had to It's completely it. synonymous. Thankfully, yeah. we're not in that other world. <laughs> I mean, it taps yeah. into the psychosis of the characters. Um, the, 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 I said these strains of brass that come in and just really just add depth to the um, and layers to the way that the, the music is telling the narrative story of what this character's journey is like, where he's going, what's involved. Yeah. So the, the, the melodies in it, they are kind of... Mm. A, they borrow slightly, they echo um, the, uh, apologies for my German pronunciation, the Liebestod from Wagner's Tristan and Isolde, which is a story mm. of the kind of obsessive love. And, and this whole thing is about, you know, the image of the woman who never existed. And it's, it's haunting, absolutely yeah. haunting. Yeah. The other, the, the, the cleverest thing about this, this score is, um, the, op- the opening suite, you've got this ominous like two note motif, which mm. is actually, and, and I didn't really realize this until I researched it. I've got to be perfectly honest. Um, it's a direct, so you hear this piece of music that's kind of quite haunting, but it's a direct kind of musical imitation of the foghorns located either side of the, the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. Which, and those horns are then heard later in the film with a kind of key scene with Kim Novak's character, that he'd already kind oh, of preceded right. the foghorns earlier with this sort of ominous piece of music. I mean, it's, it just works on so many levels. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, he's, he falls in love with a, a concept effectively, doesn't he? He's, um, mm-hmm. he's asked to, um, to follow his, um, his, I think his ex schoolmate, isn't it? His ex schoolmate's yeah. wife. Um, so he's suspecting, activities going on so he follows her and falls in love with her himself and the story goes it's, on from it's, there. it's obsession so it's a haunting, I think is the word it's obsession it? it's, it's a film haunting. about obsession and he kind yeah. of there's a lot of repetition in the music where it kind of sort of circles back to the sort of same moment again and again and it kind of gives you that kind of feeling of kind of obsession uh in in the kind of musical parts parts of it is i mean the score itself, it consists of 42 cues comprising 74 minutes of music that are kind of heard in the film. Um, the soundtrack contains 34 minutes of score, including most of the cues. It was re-released in 1996 after the master recordings were uncovered at Paramount Pictures. So they actually lost the score to this and then for yeah. 30 years it and was then found them and re-released them. It was, yeah, um, it was composed by Herman between the 3rd of January and 19th of February, uh, 1958. Um, recordings were made so in we had London about six and weeks to do the, to the, that's, that's what, yeah. something I find amazing. Quite, I mean, you look at quite a lot of these composers and they rattle out, I mean, they were prolific. A lot of them, they rattle out. If you think about how often the band releases an album now, they release like a sort of an hour of music every three or four years. I mean, these guys are knocking, <laughs> knocking, three or four films out a year in a lot of occasions. They're quite a production line running. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible stuff. I think a film 
score that can add something, um, especially to this degree, is just worthy of note in its own right. And when it's to this degree that it adds yeah. something, I, I I cannot stop thinking about the music when I think about this film. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's famous it's in its own mind. It's part of it. It's integral to the film. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's the epitome of those criteria that we talked about as being important when choosing our fives. Um, it's absolutely integral. It's it's um completely at the forefront. Um, several themes within the yeah, are used within, as you said, cues and notes are used motifs within the film and all of them are just top rate. There's just yeah. no there's no two the, ways about it. Every killer, no filler. Yeah, exactly. And it's not often I might sit down and listen to an entire film soundtrack, um, apart from when I'm doing research for a podcast, for example. Mm. But um but this is something I would happily enjoy listening to, even though it would also make me want yeah. to see the film anyway. But yeah, but it yeah. would I, if I didn't have the film available, uh, but I had the music, I would happily listen to all of this. No problem at all. It's, yeah. It truly is one of the, if not the greatest film compositions in movie history by certainly one of the greatest composers of all time. And I absolutely adore it. Um, Paul, um, what, what, one thing but poor old Bernard. So um, the score was actually recorded in London, Vienna, with Muir Matheson conducting. Now, Bernard Herrmann, he wanted to conduct the orchestra for it, but there was a musician strike in Los Angeles and he wasn't allowed to, so he didn't get to conduct it or wasn't there when they recorded his music. Poor guy. So they were going to record it in in LA, but they had to record it in London and Vienna. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then obviously you can... Yeah. I think, I think, I mean, we know that Hitchcock, until they had a falling out, Hitchcock and Herman had a very good working relationship. So Herman said that Hitchcock would, would invite him into the kind of production of the film and they discuss the length of the music and then either expand or contract the scene to fit the music, which is yeah. mad when you think about it. You would think it would be the other way around. And so like Hitchcock specifically asked for sort of in the recognition scene near the end, he said, I want a specific piece of music for this this particular scene and i mean they work really really well together on so many films it's a shame they had a falling out at the end yeah it really is a tragedy it's such a shame and um yeah i mean they they worked so well together it, it, i mean they didn't well, they made a lot of films that, together no they didn't but i mean they were yeah. both gay getting on by then yeah mm, yeah indeed they did make a lot of films together and you know, we've got those memories to share and enjoy even to this very day and beyond. Exactly. Yeah. So, Phil, I mean, that's that's great. Really enjoyed talking about that. 1950s music, as I said, as, as it, an amateur. It's a different to what we normally do, wasn't it? It sounded yeah, almost professional first. in places. Well, not professional, semi-professional. <laughs> amateur. Yeah. A bit Speak above for amateur. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, my, my, my ear is, is not one with musical knowledge. It's something just knowing and appreciating and recognising what I like and I yeah. like to think I've got fairly normal sensibilities in that regard. So I, I can't articulate probably in as much detail what I like about some of these things, but I, I found it interesting talking about that. And I think we can, yeah. over, over time, intermittently, we can, we can cover 60s, 70s, 80s onwards. Yeah, yeah, I'm no. sure, oh, I'm I mean, sure you'll enjoy that when you get to the 80s is onwards. The big one. 70s and, <laughs> so 70s. Well, sorry, no, yeah. the, I mean, in the, in the 70s, it was still a film score. By the, by the time you got to 80s, yeah. it turned into Zen tracks. Yeah, we might skip the eighties. I don't know, but I mean, some synth scores like Blade Runner are good. Mm, That's true, but yeah. yeah. Well, we'll we'll think about that. Yeah, I I think we probably in. I think seventies sounds. We should. We should. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, I think now we'll get onto it later, but I think music now there's a there's a new kind of revolution in film scoring where there's a lot of interesting work going on. Yeah, I mean, there's less around music, but more around kind of having yeah, the right noises and, and noises, to mm, sort of fit the mm, scene mm. and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mika Levy and people like that, you know, who are just uh, yeah. really doing some interesting stuff. Um, I love Danny Elfman. I think he's fantastic. I mean, John oh, Williams, brilliant. I don't know how, he, he must be in his 80s now. He's still knocking it out of the park on every single film that he does. Yeah, I mean, Danny Elfman's got to be getting on a fair bit. Yeah. I mean, he's so prolific, isn't he, with William yeah. Simpsons, Tim Burton, whatever else. He just he just seems to be continuously, relentlessly working. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, honourable mm. mentions, was there any other any others that you'd like to mention that we haven't discussed? So, we kind yes. of, I mean, we, I mean, I, we only kind of, Overlapped on just the one film in the end of the obviously yeah. Northwest um, should have been. In yeah, there. I mean, I've I've got a few others. I mean, there's there's a couple of things that if anyone's listening and they they've they've noticed a couple of things are from the fifties and we haven't mentioned them, they might be screaming at us. Yes. So hopefully we're coming to them now. First of all, you've you've touched on it already. Rashomon, I think, is a great score as well. Yeah. Nineteen fifty um, made my long list, but it was um, yeah. I mean, it would have been second to Seven Samurai for sure. Um, so I mean that was a great fantastic score. film as well. That's one yeah, of those very films. different as well. So different it, scores. It, of... I mean, you see it copied again now. People talk about it's got a kind of Rashomon. It's a Rashomon piece in terms of it's yeah. got three different stories. You know, well, one story told from three different perspectives of, of an yeah. incident that happens. I mean, uh, you see it in the League of Gentlemen, or whatever, and you see it in all kind of other other kind of like films. Ah, oh, fantastic film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other ones for me, you've already mentioned Sunset Boulevard, Seven Samurai. Um, you've got Rebel Without a Cause. In fact, yeah, all the James Leonard Rosenberg. Yeah, that was on my uh, short list yeah. as well. I mean, that's a big brassy, full orchestrated thing, isn't it? Bam, 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 bam. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, oh, it's really was, good. I really think good. that was a very influential kind of one. I think it was quite revolutionary because that really started yeah. including kind of like jazz with classical music the guy who did it then a roseman he was a kind of roommate of uh, james dean's at one time all oh, right then, another film that i think is massively overrated but... well rebel without a cause yeah if I he hadn't died most... would they still be talking about it with as much interest and probably probably and... not no I, I don't know if it's overrated I, I don't know it depends who you've been reading and listening to but I'd have to see it again. It's, it's all right. It, but, it's okay. Mm, but mm, it's iconic. I think other I, I, films do that thing, that sort of thing better, the, in my opinion. There but is a, a thing with maybe, I remember, that's just me. I remember getting a little fascinated phase with James Dean when I was growing up, and I mean, he did about know, three really films, good, didn't he? Really cool. Yeah, and I mean, he was a sensationally good actor. I really wish he'd um, not had that accident and lasted. Yeah. Because um, he, his what he did, I mean, Rebel Without a Cause giant east of eden they're all based on your classic american yeah. stories of families and that sort of stuff you've got um you've got a troubled youth in rebel without a cause who's obviously having struggles with parents you've got um giant where he's kind of an old slightly older figure yeah. there's a whole generational question there east of eden is a brilliant film yeah. based on the classic classic american Steinberg, novel yeah indeed yeah and they're all they're all great but rebel without a cause the score is excellent in that Honourable mentioned two films just purely because I think the films are sensationally good, and um, which also had that cinema scope thing along with Rebel Without Cause, which um, is uh, well, sorry, one of them rather, which is Bad Day at Black Rock, which is a great yeah. film. If you're not seen it, check it out, folks. Um, that's got a pretty good score, quite similar to Rebel Without Cause actually. It's on a similar 
vein, but not as distinctive. Um, you've got The Night of the Hunter, not really known for its music, but a great film. That's we'll a talk about fantastic that. film. That such a good film. We'll talk about Charles that another Lord. time. Yeah. yeah. There's not so really much going music. on in that film in terms yeah. of themes and yeah. ideas. I mean, it's, I think that Truly. film is a, one of, I mean, a lot, a lot of people kind of like talk about it, but it, in critical circles, but in kind of the mainstream, you yeah. don't really hear it mentioned very much, but it's a, it's a fantastic film. Yeah, it really is absolutely sensational, as is the film, uh, well, it's back to Marlon Brando, On the Waterfront. On the Waterfront, which, yeah, that was Leonard Bernstein's a, only score. Yes, yeah, that we've mentioned. Got that, I, mean, that, I mean, that came very close to being on my list. It's got that opening theme where yeah. you hear the kind of French horn and then the mm. flute joins in. And then, oh, I mean, you've got these, because it, it's a very contrasting film. You've got these sort of love parts and these violent parts, and, and the music just fits it absolutely wonderfully. Because he's just rugged. Is, I mean, he's just incredible in this film, isn't he? He really, it, you've got I mean, he's rugged, so but, good, it almost takes you out the film in that yes, nobody else yes, is. Yeah. I mean, it happens in a bit of a street kind named Desire as well, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah. He's so much better than everybody else that you almost think he's yeah. in a different film. And that's saying something because, you know, they're, they are very yeah. good actors, the other people in there. Um, and in, on the waterfront, there's scenes with his brother, you know, again, you know, yeah. he can hold his own that actor, but it's just something about Brando and, I mean, it's just on a different zone. But the music to go with it, I think it's probably not necessarily as famous as other famous films um, in terms of the music yeah. of other films. I, I think this it doesn't quite get the credit it deserves. It's a no, very no, good no. soundtrack. It really, again, sets the tone. You've got those different intonations for different characters. Um, as you said, he's this rugged, troubled, ultimately vulnerable, very vulnerable character. Yeah. And it plays really nicely the way the, the music depicts that through through um through the strains of the music it really d- depicts that yeah. characterization it's absolutely great um and i just love it and i mean there's so many other classics of the era a lot of them don't have famous scores but one that does um i guess is some like it hot as well yeah. um, a latter-day screwball comedy absolutely brilliant 1959 Marilyn you know Monroe. the score Marilyn yeah. monroe tony curtis, tony Jack curtis. Lennon, all on absolute yeah. fire uh performance wise um music wise it's got that's Billy Wilder, famous, isn't it? Billy Wilder, yeah. yeah. And it's got um you know, it's got some famous songs in it. Um, but it's the score itself is kind of it's just playing into that roaring twenty uh, sort of yeah. Yeah, that roaring age, you know, the um, the gangsters in Chicago, all that stuff. It really goes into that. Um in terms of the songs, um I'm trying to remember the uh, uh I've got to try and remember what the um there's a song that I'm trying to remember now. Here we go. Oh, I want to be loved by you. Famously, yeah. of course. I uh, want to be loved by you. And there's also um, I'm Through With Love, which is another classic American songbook standard. Yeah. So you've got Marilyn Monroe's versions of those songs. Um, classic dialogue, of course. I suppose we're talking soundtracks. Yeah. But in terms of the score, yeah, I think it's just got it's just got a rip-roaring kind of yeah. throbbing kind of buzz to it, which is nice. It, 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 keeps, it matches the pace of the film, wonderfully. Yeah. Yeah. Um, American in Paris, I've sort of touched on. Very good score, actually. Really good music. There's some, yeah. it's got classical, almost like balletic elements to this, I think. There is, in fact, a scene which is quite balletic, um, which is sort of like a slightly dreamy fantasy scene. Um, but the music in that, you could almost imagine this could have been from a classic Russian composer. 
it's yeah. beautifully done. It's it's great. Some good songs in there again. I know you don't like musicals, but it's actually I think it's yeah. more of an accomplished score in some senses, and some like it hot. I think we're talking yeah. about the actual the musical scoring rather than the you know the overall yeah. soundtrack. Um, and there's one other film which I've not mentioned so far, and I don't think you have either, which is quite iconic. Um, but it's it's a problem in terms of its inclusion. The uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. River Kwai, yes. That was yeah, on my I shortlist. Mean, Malcolm yeah. Arnold. Yeah, another yeah. three-hour epic. Yeah. So, so got Malcolm, Colonel... Malcolm Arnold, Arnold Sorry, the guy who wrote yeah. it, he wrote that entire score in 10 days. Hmm. So I read, yeah. He said Amazing. it was the worst <laughs> job he'd ever had. He was literally brought in and said, right, we need music. Off you go. <laughs> but, it, it, I mean, he... he, he yeah. He knocked it out of the park, let's be honest. There's the, I mean, there's the Colonel Bogey theme, isn't there? The famous... Which is whistled yeah, yeah. in the film and, and also scored as well. Um, I mean, apparently I think that wasn't originally for the film, though. I think it didn't have a history beforehand. It appeared in something else. I okay. So, so on that basis, I didn't include it because I thought, well, that yeah. is the iconic bit, isn't it? Really? Yeah. It's a good score in general, but that, that particular bit was for me. And actually... That's just reminded me of something which I seem to have lost from my notes. I'm just going to dig in again and see if I've got them elsewhere. Yes, I have. Um, one other famous, famous score, um, which is uh, the Dam Busters, 1955. Oh, How can we yeah. not mention the Dam Busters? Now, for that one, I've got some notes here, actually. There's it's no what, it's from... a film that's never, it's not as good as you remember it. But the no, score it's is not great. great. Peter, yeah. Peter Jackson's been talking for years about doing a remake, but he seems to have sort of gone into a sort of semi-retirement where he just wants to do documentaries at the moment, which is a shame because I'd love to have seen his take on the Dan Busters. Absolutely, yeah. He would have been, yeah. I mean, great. I did a bit of research on, on that, actually, because I was interested in where the, the music came from. And there's an article, I think it's something with Classic FM, which says, Eric Coates, Dan Busters, it says, still a firm favourite military band number at fly passes and yeah. so on. Eric Coates' and football. popular theme. <laughs> and football, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, it says, Eric Coates' popular theme to the classic British war movie from 1955 is a great example of a piece of music that has become just as famous as the film it comes from. Despite the piece's success, Coates had a profound disliking of composing for film. And in fact, his son, Austin, claimed in a radio interview that the Dan Busters March was not actually written for the film and had, in fact, been completed a few days before he was contacted by the producers. So I don't know if that's true or oh, not, obviously, okay. based on what his son said. But yeah. Classic FM listener Tessa Cross's mother was one of those who worked behind the scenes on preparations for the Dam Busters raid. She actually helped to build scale models of the dams. These models were used in the famous 1954 movie. I guess it was made in 54, at least 55, I guess. Um, uh, here is still, um, and it's just got a still from the film, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of interesting that, whether that yeah. was actually written for the film or not, because that's a big difference, isn't it? Because that is, it's about that tune. That well, film, that, well, that's it. It's not a whole score, is it? It's one, hmm. it's one yeah. part of the score which has hmm. gone into sort of folklore because yeah, I mean, yeah, one of the most it's, famous. It's entered of pop, popular James. culture, yeah. Hmm. Particularly and Britain, for of a course, fan. yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, but in terms of fifties British cinema, was a bit well. Apparently, British, German, Czechoslovakian. And a couple of other sort of Central European nations yeah. were behind the curve in terms of filmmaking. Others were doing groundbreaking well, well, stuff. Well, a lot of them were working <clears throat> in America. Let's be honest. 
Yeah, exactly. So the better talent was in America. You had a few kitchen sink dramas coming out towards the end of the uh, the decade, budget. So you, you, you get yeah. a lot more money to play yeah. with if you were in Hollywood. Yeah, but you get you, you had the Italian cinema, Japanese cinema, Swedish cinema, yeah. Polish cinema. All of, all of those things were doing interesting things: neorealism, new wave, all sorts of stuff. Whereas Britain was looking back, it's got this obsession with the war, even now yes. to some extent. And in the fifties, it was it was all about telling tales. Of, um, of the past decade and a half yeah. where, you know, the fables of what had happened, the heroics, it's understandable, but yeah. it did mean there was a sort of like a datedness to no, 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 definitely. 50s cinema, which did bring, produce some great films, but, um, it also meant that we didn't kind of move on in the same way until, until at least the sixties, really. But there we go. We had Carry On Sergeant, though, don't forget, in 1958. So. <laughs> oh, I was, was going to think, when did the Carry On film start? Yeah, yeah I did check that. I thought, oh, was that 50s or 60s? It was, yeah, it was ahead of the curve. It was ahead of Bonds. And it is the, apparently it's the longest running film series in terms of the, sorry, it's the, it's got the most films in terms of a film series. I think it's something like 31 films just ahead of Bond. Bond's the longest running in terms of, Consistent, yeah. consistent numbers of years because yeah. there was a big gap in Carry On. Um, I'm not actually a fan of the Carry On films, but in case anyone's fine. I, 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 I rewatched kind of one fairly recently with my wife, who is French, to kind of <laughs> say this is a certain part of English culture. Psyche, yeah. And it felt actually quite embarrassed. She showed me a French film from the similar period, which was hilarious, and I showed her a Carry On film, and it dated so badly. Welcome to mid mid century English. We watched Carry On at the Kyber. <laughs> I remember it being hilarious as a kid, and, and watching it now in the cold light of day. Yeah, it's painful, isn't it? It's, it's really awful. painful. It's yeah, really... sexual repression and just kind of old school, kind of dated, sort of almost and like tacky the joke, music. The jokes were just so obvious, you know. Yeah. Mm. But well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's, is there any any more in your short list? Not on mine. Have you got any more, Phil? I've, there's only one other guy that we haven't mentioned yet, uh, Dimitri Chonkin, who did um, Rio Bravo yes. and High Noon. Yeah, so that, course, uh, yeah. yeah, which oh, High Noon, epic. yeah, yeah, High Noon. Yeah, they're, sure. the, they're the only other ones that I was kind of kind of think sort of bring bring to the conversation. I'm obviously yeah. not as much of an expert as 1950s films as you are, but I've put <laughs> quite a lot of research into it. Yeah, fair play. You know, that's good. Yeah, I mean. Chionkin's Most of the films one. I've watched have been about four hours long as well. <laughs> I don't have time to watch a couple then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Tionkin's one of those old guards, you know, along with Russia and Korngold yeah. and all those others that I mentioned. He's just, you know, he's been around the block a long time. Um, obviously, as you can tell from his name of Eastern European kind of background. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, High Noon is an interesting film. It's an odd film because I think it, I, I don't know what we said about it during the Western one, but it sort of feels a bit too modern for a, the, yeah, the, you know what I mean. I don't know if it's Grace Kelly being in it, looking too pristine, or the film looking too pristine in general. It's not gritty yeah. enough, maybe. And the song compared I don't know, to it's some just, of the other pit top films yeah, in that period, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got obviously, you know, it's got the famous song "Do Not Forsake Me, All My Darling," and yeah. you know, there's that, there's that timed because it's done pretty much as a, a real time narrative, and you can feel this tick of this kind of almost this. um metronome thing going yeah, on through, yeah. the, through the through the soundtrack the song and the music are great um again it's kind of a bit samey it's just one theme or it feels like there's only one theme from it it worked according to the story yes. but in terms of scores standalone is it top five no not for me but i i do love the film it's brilliant yeah. brilliant film 
but I, I can't warm to it the same way as I can to other brilliant films. No, I no. think it's probably safe to say. Yeah. Even though it's got G, uh, it's got Grace Kelly in it. Yeah, <laughs> not Gene Kelly, Grace no. Kelly. Yeah. It'd have been a very different film. Yeah. So no, I think yes, that would have been interesting. Yes, the love interest is yes yeah, for, for um of uh, what's his name yeah. would be um yeah would be that would have upset a lot of people in America. <laughs> yeah, could have been could have been fun. Couldn't <laughs> it? Yeah. No, I, I think that pretty much rounds up this one, yeah. then, doesn't it, Phil? So it's been really just... interesting. It's been quite. I mean, coming at it from a different angle. It's been, yeah. It, I, I was, I was honestly, I was thinking it's only going to be half an hour long, and uh, I reckon we've managed to do hour and three quarters or whatever without too without really thinking about it so yeah, um, something like yeah. that yeah and just to quickly summarize in case um people have lost track of where they were with it your your top five again so if you can just count so, it down for us my number five was the legendary seventh voyage of uh, sinbad and i had a streetcar named desire number four i had the legendary seven samurai and i had the legendary singing in the rain <laughs> your favourite film <laughs> I had, number three I had Sunset Boulevard and I had A Touch of Evil number two I went for Ben Hur North by Northwest for me and number one I went to Vertigo but ask me again tomorrow and it could be North by Northwest <laughs> and I went for Vertigo yeah. so there we go that rounds up this one next up we are doing a, it's a bit delayed we'd rather have done it sooner after the year's ended um, is We've got to catch up 20... on all the films from 2021 that I haven't had a chance got... to watch yet. You yeah, suddenly look honest. at it and you think, oh, there's a film, there's quite a few, because it's not just what came out of the cinema, quite a lot of films went straight to streaming and they kind yeah. of appeared sort of under the radar. So there's a few more I need to ca- kind exactly. of catch up And then on. there's the accessibility issues. Yeah. I had a pretty busy end of year, beginning of year as well. So I think it's probably advantageous that we've had this extra yes. time. So our next one, probably in March, I'm guessing, will be... Um, the review of the films released in the UK, in the UK yeah. on, on whatever its first run release format is of um, films that were made in 2021. And um, I will be predicting your films. Yes, I might predict yours as well. I might Mine are wrong, obvious, though. You'll get them all right. <laughs> oh, OK. Nice disclaimer. Well, we will see. And we will be back with that one next time. So, Phil, it's been a pleasure as always. I'm glad we finally got back on track after yes. a, a bit of an extended delay. It's been brilliant. Yeah. Delay. Yeah. So, thanks for joining and, us, uh, everybody. We will, we will be back soon. We will be back with films of 2021. Until then, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>